So we're in between series, which means that I can talk on whatever I want. <laughs> yes. So I am stoked to share this text with you guys. This text, um, I ran into it and I shared it actually with our high school group a year ago. Okay. And since then, I've been able to, I've been sharing it here and there and, and it's and, uh, and having conversations with people about this text. And let me just say, like, the conversations that are coming out of this passage of Scripture are absolutely amazing and necessary. Uh, this, this text allowed me to, to put new language to this reframing of what the gospel actually means. And it also helped me understand better what it looks like to step into the identity as a child of God. It's so good, all right? So you ready for this? It's found in Galatians. We'll get there. But I want to start with this question. If you had the opportunity of knowing what every single person thinks about you at all times, would you take it? Okay, some yes and some no. If you had the opportunity of knowing what every single person, every single people, you know, people you don't know, people who are closest to you, if you had the opportunity of knowing what every single person knows about you, would you take it? How many guys say yes? I would want to know. Some of you guys, brave souls, amazing. I've heard why. I've heard, oh, we just want to make sure people in our life are not fake, right? We want, we want real friends in our life, you know? Um, how many guys would say, no way, no? Okay, a lot more. Okay, you would not want to know. I'm in that same boat, okay? I would not want to know. Just that question itself stresses, like anybody who just heard that question, you got like a little anxious, like, I don't want to know, you know? Um, I feel that as well because the reality is that we spend a lot more time than we notice thinking about what others think about us and how we're being perceived. Think about it. Let's reflect on that. Think about the thoughts that take up um, your time, right? Think, think about what you're focusing on, the things you're thinking about on a daily basis. My bet is that we will notice how much other people's perception of us actually matters in our life. And maybe you've had a phase like me where you say like, oh, I'm done. I'm done like walking around caring about what people think, you know, worrying about that. I'm done. I'm going to do me, you know. Maybe you've, you've had that, right? But somehow these thoughts have just come back into your mind. They just, they just creep back in there and you're constantly thinking about what other people think about you. And the reality is what people believe about us matters a lot. And unfortunately, these thoughts can oftentimes leave too many of us in this constant state of worry and anxiety. And maybe you're there today. And as I reflect on my life, I have to admit that this has taken a lot of time. A lot of my thoughts have been dedicated to that. What are people thinking about me? I'm worried about that. And it started growing up, right? When I was, when I was young, I remember my biggest fear, I, I was afraid of what people thought about me, and I was scared to sound dumb. I just didn't want to sound dumb, right? I just wanted to be art, articulate. I remember being in junior high thinking, I don't want to sound dumb. I want to sound smart and articulate, which is a hard thing to do as a junior high student, right? No offense, my junior high kids, but uh, it's true. Like, that was my desire. I just didn't want to say the wrong thing. And I remember being in class, having a question, and and feeling like I don't want to, uh, I don't want to like raise my hand, right? And I would think, oh, I have this question, 
And hopefully that one kid, you know that one kid, the one kid who's like, oh, teacher, um, and then they just share the question. And you're like, we love them, right? Introverts love them. Introverts in the house? Yeah, me. <laughs> you know? Where are we here? Um, yeah, it's true. Introverts love these people, right? We love people who like raise their hand in class and say the question. I'm not, I'm not introvert, you know, but, um, and it wasn't until high school till I, I started changing things, right? In high school, I was a little bit more confident, um, but still, it was a nerve-wracking thing to ask a question in class. Some confessions, I'm going to share some confessions here in this sermon. Um, one of them is when, when I had a question, I practiced the question in my head over and over again before I would ask. Anybody, anybody else like that? Like I would, I, I would practice a question over and over and over again and um, to make sure I didn't say anything dumb, right? And I would raise my hand and as soon as I did that, my heart would start pounding, right? Boom, 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 boom. You know how it is. Um, and then my, you know, a teacher would call on me and, yes, Isai, or actually they'd, they'd butcher my name, right? Hey, Isai, is this you? Um, and I would say that I would ask the question. And uh, sometimes it would come out real good, but sometimes I would practice so much that the words would like get mixed up. And I'm like, what am I even saying? Like, that's so silly. What am I doing, you know? And what happens is like after those moments, those, those, uh, those moments where you kind of like expose yourself, right? And you sound dumb, you think about it for like an entire week. Like it's one of those moments you think back on and you just like cringe. You're just like, oh, that was terrible. Growing up, one of the things that I struggled with was reading. I was a bit of a late reader. So you guys know, people who've heard me preach a lot uh, know that I'll stumble through a text, you know, when I'm reading it. Public reading is not my thing, right? I remember in class, teachers would say, hey, let's, uh, let's read a, a chapter together. So every person is in charge of one paragraph, and we'd go down the line and read it out loud, which is terrible. That's so, it was so scary for me. So my trick, what I would do is I would count how many people there are and figure out what paragraph I had to read. And while everybody else was reading, I was just reading over my paragraph, like over, making sure there were no words, no tricky words that I would stumble over. If you know what I'm talking about, say, mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you, okay. <laughs> I'm not alone, I'm not alone. I used, I used to do that, read through that. Um, and sometimes there'd be words that would just like stump me, right? Like in class, one, I remember one of them, I was, I was reading in class and, um, and the word aisle came up, and I'm like, Eisel. And every, Eisel? And everybody starts laughing, right? Like, oh, you say you sound dumb or whatever. That's what I'm hearing, right? And I'm like, English, why you gotta do me like that? You know? How does, how does that make any sense? Eisel? I L E. Eisel? Aisle? Doesn't make sense, you know? And that was like my deepest fear. I would think about these moments for a long time. And, and it kept going. And even like after, during college, my, when I was about to enter into my senior year, um, I got a call from Pastor Tim Gillespie. Um, and Tim's like, hey, uh, there's this internship position available at Crosswalk for youth. Are you interested? And I'm like, yes. Because like when God calls, you know, you say, yes, Lord, I'm here. Also, when Tim calls, you also say yes. Like, <laughs> that's how I think. That's like what's in my brain, right? I'm like, yes, I'm there. So I go to this interview, 
kind of, like this kind of interview thing. It's kind of informal, but still, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be cool. And I remember, uh, I haven't even talked about this, but uh, Tom was there, Tim was there, Justin Wampler was there, um, and, and we started talking. And you know interviews, right? You try to pretend like everything's cool, but you're freaking out inside. Like, you're just like, hey, what's up? Everything's fine, you know? Yeah, I love the church and, you know, whatever. Um, so while we were having this interview, things are going okay. This, like, random speck of dust or something goes inside my eye. And, uh, and so I'm, like, talking, and, and instantly my, start, my, my eyes start watering up, right? My eyes start, like, tearing up. Like, what's happening? I try to take it out, which is just making it worse while we're having this conversation. And the next thing you know, like, we're having this interview with straight up, like, Niagara Falls coming out of my eyes, right? It's just like, I'm, and I'm like, what are they thinking about me? I'm straight up bawling in this interview, but I'm not, I'm not sad or anything. I don't want them to think I'm, like, weak sauce, you know? I, I want them to think I'm cool. <laughs> and, and I'm, like, I'm freaking out. I'm having this interview with tears coming down my eyes. And I was like, I'm never getting that job. Thank God I did get that job. But obviously I'm here. And, uh, but, but I freaked out for the next week. All I could think about was what do they think about me? What are, what's going through their minds? How do they perceive me? And these thoughts consume our life sometimes. And it seems like what's really happening is that we have this innate desire for approval and acceptance, and we feel that in order to receive that, we need to act a certain way, be a certain way, look a certain way, do certain things. It seems like there is this standard. There's a standard that we set that somebody else sets, and we feel like we need to reach that in order to prove ourselves to others in our community. In Galatians, There is a group of people who have the same desire of finding belonging, acceptance, and meaning. But they're being told that there is this standard that you need to reach. And if you fall short, you do not belong. So the text I'm talking about is found in Galatians. And I want to just give a little bit of context there. This book was a letter written by the Apostle Paul in around... uh, 49 AD, addressed to the churches in Galatia. And Galatia was an ancient Roman province, somewhere where is today central or northern Turkey. And Paul goes there on his very first missionary uh, trip and starts preaching the gospel. And there is a tangible move of the Holy Spirit. People are listening. People come to believe in this Jesus guy. They believe in him. And there's a movement that starts Little by little, these groups start to form. And then the next thing you know, you have your churches in Galatia, the Galatian churches. So then Paul leaves. And one or two years later, things start falling apart a little bit. There are these leaders who come up and are confusing people. They're, they're misleading these young Christians, these young churches. And uh, Paul calls them false teachers, which we'll talk about in a little bit. So Paul writes this letter to clarify. He's he's not okay with what's happening, so he wants to clarify what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And in Galatians, we're introduced to the biggest debate of the early church. Every single early church leader dealt with this in one way or another. Uh, We hear about this debate in a bunch of different New Testament books, in uh, Acts, in James, in all of Paul's writings, And it's this, the debate was this, how Jewish 
do new Christians need to be? In other words, how much of the Jewish laws and customs do new believers need to adopt? Remember that when Jewish people would come to believe in Jesus, they didn't just leave Judaism, right, and enter into Christianity. No, they very much still considered themselves Jews. And so they were, they were Christ-believing Jews who still lived according to all the laws and regulations and customs of their Jewish upbringing. So tension began to arise when Jewish Christians would tell Gentiles or non-Jewish believers that in order to be accepted, fully accepted into the family of, of Christ, into the body of Christ, they must also follow the laws and customs of the Jewish people. We have these leaders who are saying, you know, who are in a way diminishing the love and grace of Jesus and saying, actually, alongside of that, you also need to follow all the rules and regulations of the Jewish tradition in order to be a part of the body of Christ. So, in preparation for this sermon, I decided to read the whole book of Galatians. It's a short book. It's about it's, uh, six chapters, so it'll take you about like 20 minutes. If you're still like me, maybe 30, maybe 40, you know? You know, like when you read things and you're like, what did I just read? And you just have to read it over again. Um, maybe 40 minutes for you, okay? So this, guys, you guys have to read this book. It's so good. It is so good. Paul, Paul is as clear as day. Right? He wants to be as clear as possible with them. He's not okay with where the church is going. He's not okay, right? So he shares some, some harsh language, powerful stuff that he shares here. Um, and I, as I was reading, I just, I just pinpointed some of like highlights, things that like instantly stood out to me. And it's not going to be on the screen, but I want you guys to listen through this because this is how clear and straightforward Paul is. Galatians 1 verse 6 to 8 he starts off by just like doing the whole welcome, you know, like, or a greeting, like, my name is, this is a letter from me, uh, Paul, and God, God be with you, the peace of God be with you. And then he says this, I am shocked that you are turning away f- so soon from God, who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. He's just going in. Galatians 2, verse uh, 4 and 5. He's talking about false believers and false teachers. They sneak in to spy on us and take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They want us... They want to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations, but we refuse to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. Galatians 2, verse 18 to 21, and you'll recognize some of these. He says, I am a sinner if I try to rebuild, if I rebuild the old system of law I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me, so I died to the law. I stopped trying to feel, uh, meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there, would be, there was no need for Christ to die. Wow. Galatians 3, you've heard this one before. Verse 28, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Ah. Read this book. Read it. Read it this week. It's so good. Um, Something I want you guys to notice is that Paul talks a lot about false teachers here. He talks a lot about false teachers in this book. And when Paul talks about false teachers, he's in, here in Galatians, he's not talking about this, like, conspiracy of, like, people who are, like, infiltrating. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about people who get a couple dates wrong on their, you know, in their prophecy seminar. He's not talking about people who stand up and drink coffee while they preach like one of our pastors does. He's not talking about that. When Paul talks about false teachers, he's talking about people who try to diminish the love and grace and sacrifice of Jesus Christ by telling you, in order to be saved, you must follow the customs and laws of an old paradigm of the pre-grace paradigm. So anytime someone preaches to you that you are saved less by the faith you have in Christ and more by following the religious customs and laws, they are false teachers. That's how Paul sees it. They are false teachers. That's what it means. So then we hit this amazing text found in Galatians 4. And guys, this text hit me hard. It says this in verse 1. Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. And here's the kicker, verse 4. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children... God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Oh, amazing. Yeah, this is so good. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own. You heard the song, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. That's where this is from, right? And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. This is an amazing text. God calls you his heir. God has adopted you. Now, something about Roman culture that I found interesting is that every time someone was adopted into the family, they would instantly get all the rights of the inheritance as a biological child. 
Um, and that's, that's amazing. So you, you would go from not having parents at all to all of a sudden being an heir to all of the riches, all the possessions of your father. So when God looks at us and says, you are my adopted child, and because of that, you are my heir, that means that all the goodness, all the blessings, all the riches of God, of the father, now belong to us. And Paul, Paul is speaking to a group of people who are slaves to the law. Slaves to the law. They live their entire life trying to fulfill the law. They believe that by fulfilling the law, that's how they gain their salvation. And they're told every day that that's the goal. But the thing is that this law was impossible to follow. It was impossible. There was no way that every single person, everybody can follow every single rule of this law perfectly. And so then, what the law became was a constant reminder that they were not enough, that they were not quite there. Living under the law is living with a constant reminder that you will never measure up, that you cannot make it, that you do not have what it takes. Now, Every time I would read this text before, I always thought about it in context of legalism. But if I'm being honest, I don't feel like this community struggles with that. Praise God. I don't think our community struggles with that as much. I'd like to think that we're no longer, we no longer believe that we're saved by this sort of formula that we need to figure out and, and we need to work our, our way up to salvation. We don't have to worry about that. We lean into the understanding that that salvation comes from God, God's love and God's sacrifice alone, right? God's grace. Um, so we don't, we don't struggle with that. But now living under the law looks a little bit differently. In Paul's time, the law was a reminder that we will never measure up. And some of us today are living with constant reminders all around us that we will never measure up, that we are less than. Maybe there's a standard that has been set by somebody or maybe by yourself. And every time you try to reach that standard, you see that as a goal, but you fall short of that. And so that is, it, it becomes a reminder that you are not quite there. Maybe you are consumed in a comparison game. Maybe you have somebody in your life, a sibling, a family member, a coworker, someone in your field who you look to and you are constantly comparing yourself to. And it's just stop being helpful at this point. And they become your constant reminder. You want to be there, but you're just not quite there. You can never get there. And they become your reminder that you are not enough. Maybe every time you mess up at school or at work, maybe you, you fail a test um, or get a low grade, or maybe you mess something up at work, maybe that becomes a reminder that you will never measure up. Maybe all your life you've been searching for this approval and acceptance from a friend, a family member, a parent, and you feel like you have to prove yourself, and you've been working your entire life trying to meet this standard that's impossible to follow, and they have become your reminder that you are not enough. Or maybe you're watching movies or you're scrolling through Instagram 
And you see these, these standards of beauty, right? You see people looking perfect. And that becomes a reminder that you don't look like that. And every time you scroll through Instagram, every time you see an image, you are reminded that that's not me. And I feels like I can never get there. Or maybe you've been told in one way or another that you are not enough, that you will never be able to get there. And maybe you find yourself this morning trapped, longing for freedom, but feeling like you'll never be able to reach that standard, feeling like you are not enough. Now, if you notice, Paul doesn't spend time here reminding you of how much you fall short. He doesn't spend time reminding you how sinful you are. He doesn't, he, he, he doesn't spend time reminding you of how terrible you are, how much you can't measure up. Instead, Paul sp- speaks freedom from that, right? And reminds you who you are. He reminds you that you are a child of God. God has looked at you and chosen you and has adopted you. And because of that, you now get the inheritance, all the blessings, all the goodness, all the riches of the Father. That's who you are. And here's the thing, guys. I have heard pastors preach to remind everybody of how terrible they are. Preach to remind everybody of how sinful they are. And, and if you have gone to church, if you've grown up going to church only to be reminded of how terrible of a human being you are, I am sorry. That is not the gospel. Maybe the gospel has been framed that way for you. We've heard like variations of this and people have said stuff like this. This is the gospel. That you are a terrible human being, that you are horrible, that you are sinful, you are dirty, you will never measure up to anything, but thank God. For some people, that's the gospel, but I want to tell you confidently that that's not it. Maybe you've been told that, or maybe you've been told like a variation of that, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is that God has adopted you as his child, that you are a child of God, that you are an heir to all the blessings and goodness and inheritance of the Father, and that you can experience freedom through the, through the sacrifice that Jesus has done for us. That is the gospel. God is willing to go through anything to tell you that you are loved. So we don't have to be the ones going around and telling people and reminding people of how terrible they are. We don't have to do that. Here's the sad part. I'm, my hunch is that people are already, in our society, in our culture, people are walking around already feeling like they're not enough, already feeling like they're sinful, already feeling like they're terrible human beings. So it doesn't make sense for us to go. Let me remind you of that. That's not powerful. What if we started changing the narrative? Because God has. God has changed the narrative for us. He has chosen a different focus. All throughout scripture, we see constant reminders over and over again of who we are. We see texts like, you are wonderfully and beautifully made. We are told that we are made in the image of God. God, the creator, everything, epitomizes all that is beautiful and creates us made in his own image. We are told over and over again that we are loved, that we are children of God, that we are adopted. God has chosen us. God is changing that narrative. What if we change that too? What if 
Instead of going out and reminding people of how terrible they are, that's not powerful. You know what's powerful? What if we go out to a world that is struggling, that sees themselves as terrible, and we say, hey, you, you are a love child of God. God has chosen you, and you have goodness prepared for you. You have potential. God has set a trajectory for you that's, that, that, that he has formed from the time that you were created. What if we went around and, and said that? That's power. What if we affirmed each other in that way? Knowing that someone believes that you're amazing changes everything. It does. And we're gonna be we're gonna get personal real quick. Um, one of the things that I struggled with growing up, um, just to be honest, is my weight. I always struggled with my weight. And I've always been a, a bigger kid, you know, and growing up, I, I struggled with that, you know? It was always like a deep insecurity of mine. Um, and I remember I used to hate summers. I hated summers because everybody, everybody would be like, yo, let's go, like, let's go to the beach, let's go to the pool, right? And people would be so excited and I craved that excitement, but I couldn't experience that because I, I was just thinking about, I'm gonna have to go, I'm gonna have to take off my shirt, like, expose myself and like I lived I lived in that and it got bad it got really bad to the point where I I hated mirrors I hated mirrors I would see myself and be disgusted in what I saw I didn't like seeing myself in mirrors um it, it was a constant reminder that that's how you look like you say that's, that's what it looks like, you know? It was a constant reminder that I'm falling short. And I'm going to be honest, like, I still struggle with that a little bit, you know? But something happened five years ago that started changing things, is that I met this girl, right? My wife who's sitting over here. I'm going to embarrass her for a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, and she comes into my life and we come together with the insecurities and worries and baggage of our own. And we decide, you know what, we're going to start building a culture um, of just affirming one another and reminding each other of, of who we are. And so, yeah, we, I, I still walk around struggling with that. But, but for the last five years, I've heard someone in my life remind me, hey, handsome, hey, what's up, you know? Oh, hey, like... I like that shirt on you. Dang, that looks good. Oh, babe, you look fine. Like, that's, I like that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're so handsome. And I try to do the same. Like, babe, you are beautiful. You are amazing. We're building this culture where we're reminding ourselves. And here's the thing. I hear it all the time, but I don't believe it all the time. I don't. I don't. But sometimes I do. And sometimes something changes where I'm able to see things from her perspective. And I'm like, wow, maybe, maybe that's true. When we look at scripture, we see a God who's doing everything possible yes. to remind us of who we are. We want, we want to see, what if we try to see things through the perspective of God? He reminds us over and over again. And I'm not expecting you to, to come out of here and, and feel great, right? But maybe it's that constant reminder that can allow you to keep pushing forward. 
If you're sitting here today and you feel like you're still longing for that affirmation, you feel like you've been looking for that, looking to prove yourself, and you see yourself as less, let me be the first to tell you here at Crosswalk, we believe that you are amazing. That you are amazing. That you were created a masterpiece, beautiful image bearer of God. You are a child of God. You have been adopted, and because of that, now you will receive all the blessings, all the goodness, all the riches of our Father. That's who you are. That's how God sees you. When you go out, yes, you might not experience that. Yes, you might not actually believe it, but maybe for one second as you read one of these texts, you will begin to see things in the way that God sees us. What if we went out into the world and instead of reminding people of how terrible they are, we reminded them that they are loved, that they are masterpieces. What would change? That is powerful. That is powerful. I pray freedom this morning, this afternoon. I pray freedom. If you're trapped there, I pray freedom over you. God has promised us that. May you see things through God's eyes. This is my hope for you. May we affirm one another. May you step into the goodness and fullness of life that God has for you. And may you know that God has chosen you and that you are a loved child of God. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you for the constant reminder. Maybe there's somebody here who's, who's not feeling it, who's not feeling that, who looks in the mirror and, and feels trapped. Lord, may you allow us to begin to believe and step into this identity as a beloved child of God. We want to live there. We want to be there. Help us. And as we go out into our world, may you give us the courage to constantly remind people of who they are and let them know that you've created them beautiful. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.